0: Hello, hello, Leah Pika here. Today's guest helps data practitioners make their data come to life with powerful and practical presentation techniques. Stay tuned to find out who's ringing in the spring on the Present Beyond Measure Show, episode 75. Welcome to the Present Beyond Measure Show, a podcast at the intersection of analytics, data visualization, and presentation awesomeness. You'll
1: learn the best tips, tools, and techniques for creating analytics, visualizations, and presentations that inspire data-driven decisions and move you forward. If you're ready
0: to get your insights understood and acted upon, you're in the right place. And now
1: your host, Leah Pika.
0: Hey, my dear listener, and welcome to the 75th episode of the Present Beyond Measure show the only podcast still eight years later at the intersection of presentation, data visualization, storytelling, and analytics. This is the place to be if you're ready to make maximum impact and create credibility through your thoughtfully presented insights and ideas. At time of recording, we are finally diving into spring. Feels like it came a bit late this year, freezing temperatures, (laughs) hello weather, but it's all right, we're getting there. And we are already a third of the way through 2022. Insane. It feels like time is flying now, but that's probably because the world is finally creeping back into semi-normalcy where each month doesn't last 98 days. So this week, I actually delivered a workshop to a company team where it was their first day back in the office, which was so exciting. I was virtual, but what's crazy is that they were the last company I delivered an in-person training to before the lockdown commenced three weeks later, two years ago. So it's amazing to come full circle, and I can't wait to be with them in person again. So thank you, Kepler Group, for sticking it out with me through these tough virtual times and choosing me again and again. So before we dive into today's incredible interview, I have just a couple quick updates for you. Now, as usual, I am super excited for today's guest, but in particular, I've rarely met anyone who is so passionate about the intersection of everything this show is about and about helping others travel the great journey towards data presentation awesomeness. Definitely a soul brother. So let's do it. All right. Today's guest is a systems analyst turned renowned public speaker in the field of data communication, where he loves to help your data come to life. He is super active in the IT and higher education communities as a much sought after resource, highly recommended international keynote speaker data analytics and visualization expert, and a specialist in efficiency and process improvement. And with more than 12,000 followers on LinkedIn and dozens of conference talks around the world under his belt, he's certainly one to watch in the field of data. Please help me welcome Dr. Joe Perez. Hello.
1: Hi there, Leah. Thank you so much. What a kind and gracious introduction, ma'am. It's a real joy and pleasure to be with you today.
0: Yes, I'm so glad we finally were able to make this happen, and I'm just so excited to share your infinite wisdom in this exact space that everyone is here to listen to.
1: Oh, you're way too kind. (laughs) Thanks. The the honor (laughs) is mine, indeed.
0: (laughs) So the place I always love to start is hearing every superhero's origin story. How is it that you came to be in this field of data and eventually a thought leader in the space?
1: Sure, that's that's a great question. Well, it all started when I was bitten by a radioactive spider. No, I'm kidding. You said superhero. That's the first thing that came. So
0: interesting.
1: (laughs) I couldn't resist. Never heard that. Yeah, really. Right. Yeah. No. uh, Yeah, I've always had a love for sharing information. I love to share knowledge. I love to see the lights come on in in the other person's eyes, showing me that they get it. You know, I was an educator for ten years before I began my IT career, you might say, in the early 90s. And in spite of that change in my primary focus, I'll be honest with you, I've never lost my love for teaching. In the last six years of my teaching career, I took on temporary jobs to supplement my income. All those jobs were in the IT realm. And with each passing summer, they continued to be more and more technical, more and more complex, increasingly responsible. See, I was able to leverage my graduate education and hone my technical skills there. So when that focus shift happened, and I started working full-time, not as a teacher, but at NC State University as a computer consultant, well, it was a being in a university setting, in an educational setting, I mean, it, it was a natural evolution for me. You know, it was a perfect blend of both Education and technology coming together. And as I rose through the ranks over the next 25 years, where I worked at that one place at NC State, let's see, computer training manager, analyst programmer, business intelligence specialist. At the time, I wasn't just responsible for the technical stuff that I did, the programming, the working with data, and so forth, but they leveraged my educational background because part of my responsibility included designing training programs, educating our key stakeholders about the data that they're reporting on, and providing the insights that they're going to derive from that data, especially if it's provided and presented in a logical, truthful, and visually compelling manner. So, see, that part of it is where my experience as an educator comes into play. My technical background helps me to understand the underlying data knowing the tools that I'm going to be using to prepare, summarize, group, and so forth, that's going to help me enhance the learning process because I know as an educator how important it is to make those connections with your audience, okay? And ensuring those connections are broad and deep, doing that's going to ensure that the visualization being presented is going to give the right message, okay? All that stuff, ties together with telling a story with your data. And that's why it's called data storytelling. And, you know, a teacher, well, a teacher makes a pretty good storyteller. So those skills and that experience has really come in handy throughout my years at the university. And in those years, I had plenty of time to see these tools improve, processing power increasing, computer speeds multiplying. And during all that time, people are becoming more and more and more aware of I don't know how do you say it the the power of seeing data as an asset okay the power of seeing data being leveraged to drive those decisions I mean data driving decisions isn't a new thing that's you know that concept's been around <laughs> ever since anybody who's had a business they know what their business is like they're they're making their decisions they're they're driven by their gut you know they have a good gut feeling about something you know they go with their gut yeah but That gut's got to be informed, okay? And whatever it is that informs that gut, whether you want to call it data or not, the information that you get, what else is it? Data. So the difference now is is now we have more sophisticated tools for bringing it to life, okay? And, And all those years of experience as presenting lessons as a teacher, presenting the data as an analyst programmer and designing visualizations as a business intelligence specialist, all the while developing best practices, building a framework of excellence, as I used to call it. Well, that's done nothing more than to continue to feed my compelling desire to share all of it. And <laughs> right. that's what led into the public speaking, you know, and, and that in and of itself, the public speaking isn't new. I've been doing it for 40 years, 40 years or more, you know, before you were even born, right? (laughs) Not
0: necessarily. I'm being (laughs) being nice. I'll
1: be quiet about that. No, but seriously, yeah, that's where I've seen the growth, though the speaking itself isn't new. The newness, if you will, the growth, exponential growth in the last few years has been in my, I guess I could call it status, if you will, on the conference speaking circuit. You know, as you mentioned, dozens of, of engagements every year, extending my reach into countries all over the world 16 of them I think by the end of 2021 so so yeah I do think about presentation that is very much central to my thinking and that's how I got here always wanting to share having that desire to make that connection and turn that light on I, I'm as you can tell I'm I'm really passionate about this kind yeah, of I thing yeah I can see yeah yeah but here's the deal I'm not going to stop until I have ignited that same passion into the hearts and minds of my audience, whether I'm talking about students, people at work, people at a conference, and whether that audience is in person or either across the room or across a computer screen virtually. It's what I do. It's what I love, and it's what I'll keep on doing.
0: Wow, I can see this is how you really bring that data to life. And you know, what what an incredible journey. What I picked out from what you were saying, and, and I've been pondering this a lot, as my book title mm-hmm. is I don't even know if I've announced this on the show yet, but my book title that I've locked in is Story Driven Data. Ooh. The idea that a long time ago, a quote I heard was that data humans purchase or make decisions driven by emotions, but Mm. informed by data. And I kind of think of it as like the data fueling a car, but it's our needs and emotions that are actually getting in the driver's seat and moving the car forward in some direction.
1: That is an excellent...
0: (laughs) I'd love to hear kind of your take on that. Yeah. Realistically, yeah. Wow.
1: That is an excellent way of looking at things, you know, because... It's like combining art and science. The science is the nuts and bolts of what's going to happen, you know, the things that get you from point A to point B. Right. The art is why you mm-hmm. even want to go from right. point A to <laughs> point a B. You know? <laughs> yeah. Spencer Sobzak, oh man, he is a guru. Uh, shout out to him. He's a uh, he's one of my connections and we've we've had several conversations. And I, and I love one of my favorite quotes from his. He says, data storytelling is both an art and a science. Our data visualizations are the most powerful when they find that balance. Yeah. And you know, it's like you're mm-hmm. talking about, the what and the why, You know, the heart and the head, the left brain, right brain, right. the brains and the beauty, the art and the science, the form and the function. Once you can get the right blend of those two things, then there's no way you can lose, right? You're, you're appealing to the mind with the facts, you're appealing to the heart with the passion. And when you can blend those two things, then you've got a good thing going.
0: <laughs> oh, 100%. You know, it, it, there's always this argument that I see of only content matters or no, it should be, it should look snazzy and exciting. And are these two kind of diametrically opposed perspectives, but right. where I'm they finding seem it,
1: to be diametrically opposed, right, they count they them be. As a, but they're not, I don't think they are. <laughs> no, I, I couldn't agree right. with you more, Leah. I, I think they do have to go. Hand in hand because people have brains, they also have hearts, okay, right? <laughs> the two have to work together, right? Appealing to the intellect, the whole of man is the intellect, the emotions, and the will. The intellect that drives your thinking, the emotions that drive your relationships, and the will that drive your decisions, all three of those have to be in harmony with each other if you're going to move forward. And, And it's the same way with data, right? When you are appealing to the mind by the numbers being right, you also appeal to the heart by presenting them in a visually compelling manner and having that mindset of wanting to, yay, I do not say wanting to, <laughs> I say needing to and being driven to do so in a visually compelling manner, while at the same time remembering That the data has got to be right. You know, I don't care how pretty it is. If it isn't right, it's going to lead somebody to a wrong decision. Mm -hmm. And wrong decisions have wrong consequences that you could have avoided had you been as interested in making something that looks pretty if you were just as interested in ensuring that it was right to begin with. So yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more, Leah. You're a genius. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> that's exactly the way you need to look at things. Oh,
0: definitely repeating that one on a loop somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> I have that recorded, yes.
1: There you go. You heard it straight from me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I think this is really important for practitioners and organizations to understand because I know in one of your videos, you said there was a major gap between how much companies want to drive decisions using Mm -hmm. data, and how many actually do. It was something like over 90% want to and 50%. 57,
1: I think it was, something like that, 57. Right.
0: Okay, it's it's a big gap, so. Big gap. What do you think's going on here, and how can they close that gap?
1: Sure, well, one of the issues that I see is people fail to recognize the value of their data. Just like um, just like employees, okay, when it comes to employee training, all right, people think, well, if I train the employees so much, they're going to want to leave. When Henry Ford once said, hey, the only thing worse than training your employees and having them leave is not training them and having them stay, right?
0: <laughs> uh, <laughs> I love that.
1: Right. Yeah. And when they don't take care of, and I know that's not the topic of our discussion, but there's a point in this and I'll get to it in a second. And that is the issues why there's a gap in that particular realm is because a lot of companies see employees as a cost to be justified Mm. rather than an asset to be invested in. All right. I feel the same. Yes, ma'am. The same type of gap exists here in the realm of data. The ones who Feel that it should be an important thing to drive their decisions, and the ones who actually do drive it, you know, that big gap is that they're seeing the data, they're seeing the costs involved in keeping it, in presenting it, and storing it, and managing it, and analyzing it, and having the right people who are the subject matter experts who will talk to the ones that are actually doing stuff. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> they see these things as costs to be justified when, if they turn it around and see it as an asset to be invested in, just in the same way that they see their human capital.
0: Mm. Doug Laney, mm. another
1: one of my connections, I love giving shout outs to this guy. He's he's brilliant too. We, we spoke at a oh, whatever it was, the MDM Data Governance Summit in Chicago two years ago, July of 2019, I think it was. Anyway, he had just published, his, was just getting ready to publish his book. Man, I wish I would have remembered what the term was, computernomics or datanomics or something. I don't oh, remember okay. what the term was, but the point was is turning data into an economic asset and looking upon it in that way, whether it makes you money or not, you know that the money that you spend, the resources that you throw at it in ensuring that your data strategy is sound, that you do have the right analysis and do have that chain going. Yeah, it is a cost, but look at it not as that cost to be justified, okay, but as an asset to be invested in. I think that's going to be the key, if you will. In many cases, that'll start closing that gap.
0: I think that is absolutely essential The companies that I have the privilege to train for, I can see their investment in the humans that are powering their services. Mm -hmm. And those are the companies where I see the most progress. They're always coming back for, you know, enrichment, refreshers, things like that. Yes. And I think it is so crucial to understand what kinds of things need to be invested in as well. Mm -hmm. So, One of my favorite quotes from two friends of mine, uh, Chris and Zach Shemignani at Juice Analytics, they wrote a book called Data Fluency, which I love so much. And what they talk about is that when you said about failing to grasp the value of the data, their thesis on that is that they're not trained to actually extract value from the data. It's a Mm -hmm. literacy issue. That's why their book is called Data Fluency. And it is up to, in mine and their perspective, it's up to the practitioner, the presenter yes. to assess where the audience is, where they are, and meet them where they are, and help almost coach them through becoming more data-literate consumers,
1: right? Absolutely. So- it's a learning process. And again, we go back to my background as an educator. What is the learning process involved when you have knowledge that you have that the other person doesn't have, right? You have unknown on their end and you have known on your end. You don't start with what you know and they don't know. You try to build a bridge to connect the known with the unknown and bring them to a point of understanding. And that's the problem. We're too busy building up walls and silos with the data Instead of building bridges with the data so Mm, that people can understand how everything relates, how it all ties together, what is the big picture, especially for people that are decision makers. You know, they're stuck here looking at the 10,000 foot view and they certainly, you know, they certainly don't want to get in the weeds, right, because – whatever. You can't see the forest for the trees or whatever the (laughs) saying is. But it's important to have both the strategic and the tactical, if you will. Having that 10,000-foot view so that you see the overall picture and know enough about how to move the chess pieces so that you know what's going to happen with the detail. You've got other people that are handling the specifics on the detail, but you need to be able to drill up or drill down. And again, having folks on every level of management as well as the individuals who are actually doing that stuff on the back end, all of them need to be involved, I believe. Too many times companies set up these silos where the folks that are the decision makers don't know what the people that are designing the reports know. The people that are designing the reports don't know what the folks that are handling the data know. The folks that are handling the data don't know what the people that are manning the systems <laughs> that feed the data, you know. Communication. They all need to talk together. If you're going to get an overall big picture, you can't see the big picture unless you have all the parts that go into creating that big picture. And again, as an educator, I know that's how the learning process works, which is why that has put me in in such a wonderful position where I'm at, because I view everything (laughs) with the learning process in mind and uh, hearkening back and drawing upon that training and expertise and experience as an educator so that it informs the way I approach looking at these different strategies.
0: Wow. It sounds like you take a very holistic, comprehensive, and inclusive approach to that. I loved what you said about using data to build bridges, not silos. And I think that is invaluable advice for organizations to think about
1: Absolutely. in terms
0: of the river, the flow of data throughout the organization. So what would you say are the key ingredients to making data truly actionable?
1: Okay. I think you need to have relevance, resonance, and responsibility. Okay. Again, going back to the speaking to the heart, speaking to the head type thing. Okay. Relevance that speaks to the head. Okay. The intellectual
0: mm-hmm.
1: part of things. Okay. That does indeed, how does it relate to the mission, vision, and goals of the operation? How does it relate to the processes that are happening in whatever line of business you're looking at? Okay. That's the relevance. All right. That, that's the what. Okay. The resonance is the why. Appealing to the heart, saying, you know, what is the story behind the data? What's going to happen to our customers if? we introduce this new product, if we go with this particular price point, if we change this particular manufacturing method, if we open store XYZ in region A, region B, whatever, what are the results? What's going to happen with the customers? What is the reasoning? How do they feel about it? What is it that resonates with them That will drive their desire to buy more of whatever I'm talking. And again, I'm speaking as if the business is a a manufacturing business. You know, it'll be different in different contexts, different industries, different realms and different verticals and so forth. But that's the resonance. okay? All right. So the, the relevance and the resonance and the relevance is the what. The resonance is the why. okay? And the responsibility is the how. Right? What uh-huh. do you have the mechanism in place to be able to achieve those first two goals? Right? Do you have the wherewithal? Do you have the resources? Have you set things up properly? Do you have these, uh, what I mentioned earlier about the decision makers, the report builders, the data handlers, the folks that are handling the, the back-end system, the ones that have the institutional knowledge of what's going on, who understand the topography of the business, who may have been around a while to note these business cycles and see what works and what doesn't work. You know, are they all talking together? Do you have a plan set together how you're going to put these different pieces into place? So I would say, I don't know, let's call that the three R's of actionable data. How's that? I,
0: I, I love that. What you're really getting to, this is a a different side of things where I think people have this preconceived notion that all decisions should be made from your logical head. Mm -hmm. And again, they're not realizing how much the gut and biases and desires and wants and emotional aspects are at play.
1: Absolutely. It's an intersection of the head, the heart, and the hands, right? Your head's in the right. Again, that's uh, the relevance resonance and responsibility. The head knows what's going on, the heart knows why, and the hands are the ones that actually execute it. The three of these need to be in conjunction with each other.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it dovetails with something that I say to my training participants, where when we go through the process of telling a story, describing what's at stake, giving our recommendations, the goal is that by the time they get to the recommendation, they're like a full integrated yes. That's the key. And, and that's what I'm seeing. I think a lot of indecision comes because one or more parts of us are not integrated into saying yes. There's, there's sure. indecision happening internally. So I love that you're inviting people to really look at this from a more integrated perspective, not just from what makes sense from a logical data-oriented perspective.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's good. We can keep going then.
1: Yeah, why not?
0: (laughs) (laughs) So I actually, I love this quote on your site, which you say, always use the right tool for the right job. You wouldn't use a chainsaw to carve a turkey, would you? Or a sledgehammer to crack a walnut? Of course not. Look, the same principle applies with data visualization. Tell us more about what you mean by that, which I love so much. I love these analogies. <laughs>
1: Look, you're very kind to bring that up. So I think Dr. Andrew Abella has a has a great answer for that. Dr. Andrew Abella, the chairman of the Department of Business and Economics, where is he? At the Catholic University of America in Washington, D.C., has analyzed and studied the living daylights out of this kind of thing. And he developed a really neat tool called a chart chooser. If you Google it, Andrew yeah. Abella's, and that's, mm-hmm. I think it's Abella with one L, A-B-E-L-A. Andrew Abella's chart chooser, chart chooser, cheat, cheat. <laughs> that's a bit of a yeah. tongue twister. But anyway, it's all involved, it involves asking questions. Okay. What is it that you're trying to show? What is it that you're trying to mm-hmm. say with your graph, right? Are you showing distribution? Are you showing composition? Are you showing relationship? Yes. You know, Depending on what you're trying to show depends on the types of graph that would be most appropriate for the story you're trying to tell with your data, okay? You ask, does it change over time or is it static over time? You know, you're talking about many time periods or few time periods. Are those time periods relative or are they relative and absolute, you know? And as you ask each of these different, and in this particular chart, it's, or this infographic, if you will. It's divided into four quadrants, depending on you know the different types of categories of things that you're trying to show or ask or determine with the visualization that you're putting together. And as you go down the different parts of the decision tree, the different branches, by asking these questions, it leads you to a suggested graph type. So there are certain things that pie charts are better for showing. Pie charts are supposed to show the parts of a whole. They're great. Uh, people hate them, you know, I mean.
0: <laughs> the lightning rod of the data viz world.
1: <laughs> it really is, right? You know, I, I love to tell people in my in my talks, I say something like, uh, some people say they're the best thing since sliced bread, while others say they're the spawn <laughs> of the devil himself, you know, and, and re- regardless of, of how you might feel about pie charts, if they're used for the purpose that they're intended to be used for, they are great at showing how different items relate to each other and how, to what extent they contribute to the whole. Okay. A pie chart is great at doing that. A pie chart is not so great as showing how the makeup, you know, the parts relate to the whole, how the ranking, the changing of those parts has occurred over time. Pie chart doesn't do that unless, unless you're using an animated pie chart in which you show, and and that's, those are cool. Okay. SAS Visual Analytics is a great tool that does that, that shows the one pie and, you know, the slice is 33%. It changes over time from 33% to 25%. And you see, it's pretty cool when it's animated, you see the, you know, the different size (laughs) slices change. Okay. And, And they're expanding and contracting and then maybe more slices coming in and it changes, you know, and you see a little graph along the bottom showing January, every March, April, May, June, July, whatever. But that's about the only way that I could see that you could get a pie chart to show changes over time is by animating it with whatever graphics tool will allow you to do that. The wrong way to do it would be as if you say you put two pie charts together side by side, one of them showing 2013 and the other one showing 2014, you know, how the different parts related to the whole, how that overall makeup changed from the one time period here to the next time period. And that doesn't work because the human eye, together with the human brain, cannot perceive minute differences across multiple dimensions at the same time. The slice is a little bit bigger here and a little bit, you you can't tell just by looking at it when you see the two pie charts together. So that's what I would call using a chainsaw to carve a turkey. (laughs) A pie chart wouldn't work. You know, maybe a couple of bar graphs Side by side or or maybe a a line chart, you know, showing how that changes from time to time or a couple of stacked bar charts with the line going through, whatever, that kind of thing you can more easily tell just by looking. And that's the whole point. If you can't tell by looking at the graph or the visualization, then you're just not actionable. It is not actionable. You have to be able to tell just by looking at it. Because right. if you have to look at something and, and somebody asks that, what in the world is that thing <laughs> trying to show? Well, if you can't tell and if, if somebody has to ask that question, <laughs> you need to check up. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. You know, crickets, you know, no, it's not going to work. It's an epic fail. You change your approach so that you people know the story you're trying to tell with your data. It should stimulate questions like, how can I dig more into this? That's the whole mm. idea behind it right because again the individual getting back to the decision maker the tactical versus the strategic they're looking at it from a strategic standpoint but they ought to be able to drill in to the detail to see the more tactical aspects of the day-to-day operations okay and the drill up and the drill down need to be consistent so those are the kinds of questions you got to ask and there's nothing wrong you have to ask questions when you're looking at visualizations the question you cannot ask is what is she trying to show? What is he trying to tell me?
0: What that's the kind mean? of question
1: you should not ask,
0: absolutely. You know, gosh, I had so many thoughts come up because I'm so in alignment where I have this analogy it's that's why one reason I love this quote is it's similar to something I say where we look at the blame that is placed on pie charts, exploding mm. donuts, <laughs> even PowerPoint, and that they're inherently evil and ineffective. What I like to say is that they are tools with no inherent meaning where you might have a scalpel and a scalpel is either a tool to save someone's life or to kill them.
1: Right. (laughs) Depending on whether or not you're Freddy Krueger,
0: right? (laughs) Right. And is it the scalpel's fault if something goes wrong, or is it a skills gap on the part of the person wielding the scalpel? Exactly. And it's very similar for like pies, where I used to be anti-pie and, and all this stuff. But what I've come to understand is the question for me that pies answer best is contrast. It's not even right. necessarily What is each piece worth? Because our brains aren't the best at determining what a lot of different segments, how they compare to each other. It's a circle. However, if you have relatively few segments and you have the one you're trying to highlight, you're trying to show an overwhelmingly obvious difference between one or more and the others, then it is a tool to actually answer a question of how much different is this? What is that contrast? Versus if you're really looking for composition and trending over time, people will often use a regular stacked bar, which shows volume as well. And Mm -hmm. we're not equipped to Extract what the change in composition over time is if, we're, right. if the volume, if the overall size of the bar is also changing. So it's these nuances that are so critical to understand what is the exact question you're trying to answer, exactly to your point with the chart shows the tool, which I, I believe I'm aware of, and understanding how each chart best serves that question. And I think it's such a crucial skill.
1: Exactly. It's actionable only if it helps. And and this is one of the things that I stress in my talks. Data is actionable only when it helps people to make a decision, answer a question or solve a problem or sometimes a combination, (laughs) you you know.
0: My God, this is like the most quotable episode I think I've ever (laughs) had. I'm like, write that down. Write that down.
1: Yeah. Well, that one comes straight from me. (laughs) Just like the chainsaw and the turkey. And yeah. Right.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It goes back to what you say in in turning the lights on. I think of that light bulb eureka moment where the definition of an insight is something that gives an immediate capacity to have an intuitive understanding of something. And there is that aha. Not, right. didn't know that before aspect where that light bulb does go on in mm. the heads. And those three things you just mentioned are, are really critical. I hope everyone is taking notes. This is a good one.
1: <laughs> Thank you.
0: So uh, you also talk about avoiding the death by PowerPoint trap, speaking of tools and lightning rods <laughs> of controversy. Right, right. What are, you say some of the essential E's are there for avoiding the death by PowerPoint trap. Can you elaborate on that?
1: Sure. I feel that if I've done my job as a speaker, they're going to come out of there being enriched, empowered, encouraged, and educated.
0: Hmm. Okay.
1: That's got to happen. And if I haven't done that, then what I'm presenting is death by PowerPoint. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So somebody is enriched when when they feel better off, they're enriched. Okay. They overcome defeat. Right. And it appeals to their own sense of well-being, their own security, if you will. All right. When people are empowered, well, then that's when they feel like they can do something. All right. They can do something on their own. And not just because I fed it to them, not just because I handed it to them, but I gave them the tools that they can apply and use when they leave the conference or the setting or whatever. All right. And I suppose that kind of helps them overcome destruction, I guess you might say, right? You know, it's the idea that if I hand you a fish, you can eat today. If I show you how to fish, you can eat for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. Well, unless, of course, you don't like fish, in which case the metaphor kind of falls apart. But you get the idea, right? Mm -hmm, It's mm -hmm. giving people the tools, all right? Appealing to their sense of accomplishment, their self-sufficiency, all right? what I say encouraged. So people need to be able to get back up when they're down. Okay. They need to be able to overcome despair. And as I speak to them, I need to give them encouragement and show them they're not alone in this fight, Mm. their own sense of camaraderie with others that have gone through the same, the same kind of thing, you know, especially whatever climate pandemic or no pandemic, (laughs) we all need encouragement. You know, it's not all, it's not all bad. All right. Yep. And then finally, educated. And yeah, I saved that one for the last because that's got to be, if all they're going to be is, I guess I could put a fifth one in here, entertained, do it with flair, right? But educated, you know, they have to have a sense that they have learned something, okay? Overcoming their ignorance, processing information in such a way that that they can grow on their own, right? So that's what I want to do with the audience above, above everything else. You know, I don't want them to come out of their worse than what they were, or even the same as what they were. I want them to feel that they can come out of there better. Enriched, empowered, encouraged, and educated. And yeah, like I said, maybe I can put another one in there, entertain too, you know, when you can do it with with flair.
0: (laughs) Yes. Thank you for adding that because I know it's so fascinating to me. I was thinking about Weddings, just attending lots of weddings, (laughs) gatherings of people, concerts, plays. These are all events that gather human beings together. Right. That involve stories in some way. And yet with business meetings, we're expecting stories from the data, but we don't incorporate any of that flair or entertainment. And I think that's part of what makes these meetings so impossible to get right. through and get value, like we're gathering all these people and then just dumping a bunch of numbers and talking at them, and that's and what I love about. boy. Yeah. <laughs> and now on this slide, we.
1: Have... I feel like Eeyore. <laughs> well, here we go again. <laughs> <laughs>
0: exactly. Yeah, and you don't have to do a tap dance on the way in, but. Maybe that no. would be something fun hey, to try. Why not? <laughs> why yeah. not actually?
1: You know, <laughs> or I juggle. Once heard, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I once heard that from a service provider of ours that their weekly their clients weekly data readouts were sung by someone in an operatic voice, but they would sing <laughs> the actual information, and I thought that is a meeting I would want to go to. Oh good every heavens. Week. <laughs> 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 and it doesn't have to be that, but There's a midpoint. There are storytelling mechanics. There's different kinds of languaging. There are alternative phrases than just executive summary, which take the wind out of any balloon of excitement. (laughs) I think you're right, but I love the audience-centric nature of what you're talking about with those E's. How can you leave them better than when you found them? That's like a simple single mission I would love for all business meetings.
1: Absolutely. (laughs) That's what we're here for. You know, lift each other up, not drag each other down. You know, even the (laughs) bad news, even the bad news can be rephrased in a way to say, okay, you know, this is terrible. But you know what? We can learn from this and turn around and get back up. Right. You know, you're down right now. Yeah, maybe so. But here's what we can do to lift each other up out of this. You know, it's not always going to be bad. We've been up here, my hand's outside the frame. (laughs) You know, we've been up here before and we're going down. Yeah, I got to watch it when I do these gestures. I keep forgetting I'm in this square. (laughs) We've been on an upswing before. I know it's a downswing, but it's going to, you know, rather than centering only on the doom and gloom, recognize that what are the lessons that we can learn from it? Don't sugarcoat it. Don't deny it. It's there, okay? Don't try to whitewash it away or or pretend that it doesn't exist. Acknowledge it, own it, right? See what are the reasons for it. See how it can be avoided the next time. What were the KPIs that led to this and what do the KPIs have to be when we turn this thing around? It can be done and solicit help. It's like, hey, we're counting on you. You know, people, even when they're down, if they feel like one we can get out of this. Two, management trusts me and management looks upon me as a valued member of the team. Okay. Nice. <laughs> okay. Then, hey, I am a key player to the success of this organization. And doggone it all, I'm going to give it my best shot to try to help them out. You know, if I see myself this way, Then I'm going to perform accordingly. You know, if I see myself as part of the problem and if I'm constantly being badgered and put down and the doom and gloom, you know, of the naysayers and the boring death by PowerPoint we were talking about, you know, then, (laughs) yeah, I mean, I'm going to stay in that funk. You know, people need to be seen as being a valued part of the organization when they see themselves that way then they are going to look for ways that they can bring value to the organization and help turn that thing around.
0: Oh gosh, I'm so on the same page. I too don't believe in bad news. I believe in learning opportunities and There you go. As long as you are you can still leave them in a better place because even giving quote bad news Mm-mm. they're not in the dark anymore. They're more informed, more illuminated, and they're empowered. Information, knowledge is power, right? So the worst thing is bad news that no one knows about. (laughs) (laughs) That can only become worse. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So I really appreciate the reframe and the spin that you put on the empowerment because bad news can feel so disempowering. Like, what do we do now? It's all going to hell.
1: Whoa, is me.
0: (laughs) It's rather saying, I like to think of it like, Oh, job security, because I get to solve these issues now <laughs> with there
1: the you data. Go. There <laughs> you go. Right. And the encouragement from the leadership that says, hey, we can't do this without you. Can you right. help us get through this? Mm, you know, And then you feel as you are a valued member of the team. You're going to tend to put forth that extra 10% that you normally perhaps would not have done.
0: <laughs> oh, Right on. Okay, so we have arrived at a segment called The Upgrade, which is a tool, resource, book, doohickey, something that you have are discovering right now or something that's been instrumental in your journey, something that people can check out right now and get a lot of value out of it. So what do you got?
1: Sure. Well... I would say there's there's a couple of things, resources that you absolutely cannot live without. And and you're going to think that's not a tool. It is a tool. First of all, subject matter experts. All right. You cannot have enough of them. Seek them out in your organization. (laughs) All right. You know, you, you might not know how to write SQL code like a wizard. Or you might, maybe you do, right? Even if you do write SQL code, you can do it with your eyes closed, you know, but if you don't know the underlying data or the business rules that drive it, what good's that going to do you when right. something doesn't come out right? You know, these people are in the trenches, all right? They know what they're talking about and whether they can write code or not, they can certainly fill in the gap when you're scratching your head and you don't know which which end is up, all right? Secondly, open mind, open eyes. Prepare yourself to look at something from a different perspective, okay? Mm -hmm. Don't just keep doing something in a certain way just because that's the way you've always done it, (laughs) you know? (laughs) All right? Be willing to expand. That's the definition of insanity. (laughs) That's the definition. Absolutely. The definition of insanity is doing things the same way and expecting different results. Not going to (laughs) happen, right? (laughs) Exactly. So be willing to expand your horizons and and look for innovative solutions. solutions, all right? There is no such thing as an extraordinary problem, in my opinion. It's just an ordinary problem that nobody has come across yet. It might take some extraordinary thinking to resolve it, but be willing to look at something from a different angle. And then I'd say a team, a team that knows what they're doing and a team that you can count on to back you up. I mean, I don't care, again, how good you are. You're not going to be able to solve every problem or every project on your own is going to take teamwork. You know, every person brings his or her own skill into the mix, right? Contributes to the whole. And for the team to function well, it's important, like I was talking about earlier, in recognizing the value of the individual, recognizing the value of the team when they're working together. They feel like they're valued and trusted. They're going to tend to work harder. They're going to take ownership. They're going to contribute to a smooth operation. So as a resource, never underestimate the value of your team. Now, as far as a tool, a software-driven tool, we talked about PowerPoint and death by PowerPoint and the overuse of PowerPoint. I have found something that you probably may or may not have known. You can create all kinds of really interesting graphs and visualizations of like an infographic or a banner image or a promotional image with PowerPoint. Yeah. Put your text together, your shapes together. You put one in front of the other. You, you create a use of shadowing. You have your your own headshot, for instance, that you've removed the background. And you have placed yourself in front of a wall or, or something, you know, and you put words in front of it. You can take that if you have multiple graphical elements, and you can save that as a picture. You do select all, group it, and do right-click, save as picture, PowerPoint or actually you can do it in Publisher. I think Excel and Word do it but not as I don't think they do it as well as PowerPoint does it. But anyway, save it as a picture and then you can use that picture. It saves it as a as a transparentized, I guess you call it, as a PNG file essentially uh-huh. that yep. has no border behind it. So you can set it in front of another object and it looks like it's floating right on top of it. Pretty neat way yeah. to use PowerPoint that that people sometimes don't think about.
0: Oh, sure. I've used PowerPoint all the time to create social media graphics yes. and speaking engagements, yes, collages, things like that. That's
1: exactly the type of thing mm-hmm. you do. You know, your cover slide for your video, some of the videos right. on my on my YouTube channel, the thumbnail, it's perfect. You have your image, you have your title, you have some snazzy thing, some logo, whatever. Bam, boom, put it together, stick it on a slide. Guess what? It's the same resolution as your video and it fits <laughs> great. You don't have to resize anything. Boom, yeah, one and done. Exactly.
0: Uh, I love it yeah all right so we've entered the final question the final wild card mystery question so think very hard here (laughs) all right and imagine this very plausible scenario you're in poland taking center stage at the international chopin piano competition when you suddenly trip and fall into a vortex that pulls you back to the moment you're about to deliver your first presentation. What wow. are you presenting about? <laughs> I know. And okay. what advice would you give to your past self?
1: Well, for one thing, I actually play the piano. <laughs>
0: yeah. Oh, no kidding! Yeah, hell, I really do. I, could I mean, not I've not, guessed that. <laughs> yeah, I actually like
1: I like Chopin.
0: I do too. Fellow yes, pianist here.
1: Every mm-hmm. Saturday, I go Chopin with my wife. Sorry. (laughs) No, no, I I am not kidding. I I am serious about the Chopin. Not kidding about the Chopin. Whatever. (laughs) So what am I presenting on? Well, my very first conference presentation, I I guess I I can say it that way. I was talking about, what was I talking about? Facilitating innovation. I didn't call it that back then. I called it Cultivating a Climate for Paradigm Shift. Essentially, it's a presentation about getting people to think differently about the way they've done things. Sort of, we kind of talked a little bit about that. You know, don't always do things the same way just for the sake of doing them that way. And I talk about how you ought to be a person that makes things happen instead of one that sits back and watches things happen. So, And it went well, but, you know, if I could have gone back in time after the Vortex from the concert, I would say eyes, nose, ear, and head. How's that? Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) All right. Eyes for the detail, nose for the data, ear for the audience, and a head to put it all together. So the details. All right. Mm -hmm. An eye for the detail. What color scheme would you use on your slide deck that worked really well when you were practicing it? But it didn't occur to you that you might be in a room where the lighting wasn't all that great. That's what happened to me. My color scheme looked great. But for some stupid reason, I was inexperienced way back then. And I used purple letters on a black background. And that (laughs) does not work. Okay. (laughs) I had not yet. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. yeah i had not yet discovered Arial rounded what is it rt bold or something anyway i had not yet discovered that font all right i have not yet discovered Hashenweller or whatever it's called i had not yet discovered and no i'm not going to use comic sans okay i'm uh-uh, not gonna Phew. <laughs> that's nice when a you're second. doing something for kids but yeah <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. details an eye for the detail that's what ha- i i found that out the hard way okay the detail. Make sure you've checked the memory card in your camera before you start. Yeah, I lost a whole, you know, opportunity to film myself, so because I did not check the memory card ahead of time. Oh boy. So that's the eye for the detail. All right. So nose for the data. All right. What smells right? The logistical details I'm talking about. You know, how, how big? The, preparing for a big crowd versus a small crowd. The venue where's the podium re- oh yeah where's the podium relevant to the screen so i kind of had this object lesson where i was going to be reaching out to my right well in the example just would not work because the podium was on the right and the screen was on the left i should have practiced that reaching off to my left instead because i had i would have had more room otherwise i'd be falling off the edge of the stage you know it was kind of a weird placement but you know i should have Yeah, I should have had a nose for that. Okay, the data, you know, some of this could be determined ahead of time. Is there a moderator ahead of time? Okay, that's something I should have asked. That is to say, a moderator who's going to introduce you or you're going to introduce yourself. And if you're going to introduce yourself, figure out how much time you need so you don't go over time that's important. Okay. The ear. Yeah. The ear for the audience. Okay. What is it that they're interested in? Right. Uh, how much interaction can I have with them? Is it a big crowd or a small crowd? Is the lighting conducive for us to have a conversation or is it dark and there's a light on me and I can't see them. And therefore I didn't know that ahead of time. If I had checked that out ahead of time, then it would have happened. The, the more, you know, about your audience, the more you listen, OK, to what, you know, <laughs> the better you're going to do. And let's see, what's the last thing? A head. Yeah, the, the head to, to put it all together. Well, you know, getting all these other things right doesn't do you any good unless you can assimilate it. Right. Put it all together in your head. And I have the wherewithal to know how to process it and take action accordingly. The more, you know, ahead of time the better prepared that you're going to be to deal with these obstacles, these hindrances, these last minute changes, these curve balls, these crazy questions that podcast hosts might ask you, for example. (laughs) Oh, did I say that out loud?
0: No, I'm I'm (laughs) teasing.
1: Yeah, you you might still get, yeah, I'm I'm sorry. I'm kidding. But no, (laughs) serious. You you might still get a little tripped up, but at least if you keep a level head and you've done your homework, you can get up more quickly when you get tripped up. That's what I would say. Eye, nose, ear, and head.
0: Again, it's all about integrating these different parts of ourselves so that we're in a state of total awareness. It seems like, like me, your mission is to be really aware of the entire process and how everything fits in. Absolutely. Amazing stuff. Wow. Well, this was a blast. Unfortunately, we've come to the end of our time, so please tell the listeners where they can keep up with you.
1: Sure. Absolutely, Leah. Well, first, let me say that uh, it's been an honor and a privilege to, <laughs> to be here with you. Thank you. Thank oh. you so much for inviting me to uh, to be your guest today. I, I've It's been a blast for me as well. <laughs> so as far as getting in touch with me, uh, social media, you can find me on LinkedIn at linkedin.com forward slash I N forward slash JW Perez. Twitter, I'm JW Perez Man, or I guess I should say at JW Perez Man. My website is drjoeperez.com, and I have a Sessionize speaker page, profile page, if you want to keep up with my itinerary to know where I'm speaking, to see some of the topics that I speak about. If you need a speaker for your event, uh, you can reach me at sessionize.com. That's the word session with I-Z-E on the end, sessionize.com forward slash Joe-Perez. Find me that way as well. Perfect.
0: And all of these links are going to be available on the show notes page for this episode so everyone can hunt you down. Yep. I just want to thank you so much for being on the show. Clearly, you have such a wide breadth of knowledge on this topic and experience and such a clear passion, which makes you such an engaging person to listen to and interact with. So thank Thank you you again. And I I really hope our paths cross again.
1: As do I, Leah. Thank you so much, ma'am. Enjoyed it thoroughly.
0: All right, I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. You know, I never take for granted the incredible minds and hearts of the experts I get to bring to you on this show. And I truly appreciate the diversity of perspectives and experiences for approaching what is such a broad and deep discipline of both verbal and visual data communication. So to catch all of the links mentioned and register for everything you've heard mentioned on the episode, please visit the show notes page at leapekacom slash 075. I would love if you could leave me a comment or suggestions because I want to hear about the challenges you face when you're presenting information to inspire action. And I'll leave you with today's presentation inspiration by the one and only Tony Robbins, and that is... Skill in the art of communication is crucial to a leader's success. They can accomplish nothing unless they can communicate effectively. My take? With all of the advanced visualization tool sets, big data technologies, and AI-powered engines on the horizon, I feel that this skill, communication, is the one that cannot be replaced by a robot and it will be the skill that paves the way for dream careers of data practitioners everywhere so luckily you are really in the right place that's it for today stay well stay safe enjoy spring and namaste